Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for. And sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Christy O. Tate is a Chicago-based writer and essayist. Her work has been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, Pithead Chapel, and a host of others. Her debut memoir, Group, published in October 2020, was a Reese's Book Club pick and a New York Times bestseller. She's here today to talk with me about BFF, her latest memoir. And here is our delightful conversation. Christy, thank you for being here with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm thrilled. I may have told actually quite a few people this week. I said, you know that book, Group? I'm talking to the author this week because I like to assault people with what's going on in my life. I think it makes me a really good friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for that, for sure. <laughs> How? So let's just start kind of general. I mean, Group obviously was such such a good book. I loved so many things about that book. And obviously it's had great success. And then this is your second book, BFF, which yes. is coming out. We're recording this a little bit early, but it's coming out on February 7th, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. Yay. So it's almost here. How did you decide that this was the next story to tell? Sure. I started BFF before group was out in the world and I knew I wanted to write about friendship and sisterhood and jealousy and mm. this sort of tangled ball that's lived inside of me since I was very little. And I I didn't know how it would all... You never know when you... I have books I've written that live in the drawer. So you don't know the yes. order of things. But when Group came out and it made its way into the world, then I turned back to BFF and really started thinking about now, now, now any book after group is in conversation in some ways with group. And one of the things that I appreciated about the project BFF is in group, there's this charismatic psychiatrist who's Ivy league trained and it's very professional. I mean, sort of right. Right. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> but there's, there's a veneer of professionalism and there's insurance yes. forms and blah, blah, blah. But this was really what happened to me around female friendship and the work I did was very grassroots. It was very female centric. It was the opposite of this formal group setting with mm. a doctor and it happened over many years. It was a much, much messier and sort of sprawling out into my life sort of way to be. And I, I don't think I could have written that first because it was harder it was harder to write. It wasn't quite as strictly time-bound the way group was. Yes. 
That makes sense. Okay, wow, interesting. I have to reset that in my mind because when I was reading it, I was, I mean, there are obviously scenes and it is in conversation with group, like you said, but I was for some reason positioning it later because it's the next book. I think it's probably, right? Like that's the natural thinking. So I wonder if I would have read any parts differently had I thought about you younger or pre that work. Wow, I'm really having, this is just a huge paradigm shift. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to (laughs) go. You're talking to you. (laughs) I'm going to go reread. I'll come back to you. I, well, I'm so glad that you wrote it. I think we can start with two of everyone's favorite feelings, which are jealousy and envy. And the thing that I respected most about this book is how honest you were about your tendencies in those areas. Because I would like to say I'm not a jealous person, but that would probably be a lie. I just want to think of myself not that way. But that, that you know, I don't know if it's part of being a perfectionist. We can go into my issues later. But like, it's <laughs> it's wanting to be number one to yeah. someone and have the security of being number one totally. is a trap that I think as I was reading it, I thought, oh, yeah, this is, I definitely relate to this. All that to say, I love that you went there, though, because it's hard to talk about, and a lot of people don't want to admit to it. I've, I mean, do you feel like, is jealousy a more uncomfortable emotion or envy, or why is that, do you think? I have thought about that a lot, and I do think it's hard to talk about. Someone someone said it's the final frontier. I get nervous about that, because I'm like, there's always something after this, and I don't want to know what it is, so right. let's not go there. <laughs> That's um, horrible. I do think for me that I, without talking about and grappling with my, my very, very deep seated envy and jealousy, which has really cut me off at the, at the knees so many places in my life, particularly around friendship. It's been unbearable and not talking about it, not copying to it, not starting conversations about it has caused me to only withdraw because it was so scary and so overwhelming to be so jealous and to not be able to talk about it means I got to go. I got to go. I got to leave. Where's the exit? And that stopped feeling, you know, you get enough, you get enough therapy and recovery looking for the exit stops becoming like just the thing you do and starts to feel like, well, what's all this therapy for? Right. So I do think it's hard to talk about. I think that it's hard to reconcile I want to think of myself as a good person and well-intentioned and it's still inside of me. Like writing about it hasn't cured me. It has given me a path forward as have all the work that I've done, but it's still in there. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't. Well, and that's so true to so much of our emotion, right? Where it's, it, it's there. It's, I mean, whether or not we want to talk about it or acknowledge it, it's still, it's bubbling up and, so you're exactly right, looking for a path forward through it and with it. And, you know, what is this teaching me? I had a really interesting experience just a few months ago where I someone had a big, successful move with uh, something in their career. And I just instantly was like, oh, I feel like they let the air out of my bike tires or something. I mean, it was just so and it was more visceral than I had experienced in a while. But to your point, to have the time to then say, oh, this is how I'm feeling. Now I can look underneath it and see why that is and what's that telling me. But yeah. it's just such a tricky one. And and you're right. There's a lot 
of, I think, maybe shame around it, just not wanting to talk about it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of shame. Originally, when I started this book, it was just going to be a memoir of jealousy. And it was just going to be all these vignettes. And I like got yeah. about 100 pages in. I was like, um, there is no arc here. No one wants the catalog. It was like essentially a catalog. I was like, this is really depressing. And I realized I needed more craft and a little less like naming. Oh, and then there was this third thing in third grade. And then fourth grade. Yes. And when I think about jealousy, one of my friends, Donna, has this best, the best expression. She calls it girl on girl violence. Oh, like when we talk about middle school and yes. you know, I have daughters and I, I watch what happens in middle school and among the girls, mostly because I have a daughter, I have a da- son and a daughter, but I'm so much more tuned into my daughter right. because of my own experiences. And I see what happens among the moms. And to me, I, because of the lens I have, I'm like, this is all jealousy. We're going to nag her. We're like, at the end of the day, we're jealous. Like I, 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 for me, I can only speak for myself, but it looks like a lot of this is fueled by a sense of scarcity. There's not enough resources. There's not enough college acceptances or spots on the blah, blah team. There's not enough. So then you've got scarcity and then people are getting scarce resources and other people are jealous. It seems like that's just the lens I bring into every situation. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting too, because I even remember being in middle school and my mom saying sometimes, well, I think there's a little, you know, somebody's jealous or whatever. And it is, it's both factual and unnecessary at times, right? Because it is, you're so right that a lot of it is fueled by that scarcity. And it just, and it's definitely getting more challenging with the whole middle school, high school environment. I'm very glad that I'm not in school right now. And also a social media disaster. I would have been such a mess. Me too. I mean, more than I was. (laughs) Me too. I also think that there, there's, just to give a sort of positive spin on some of this, I have excavated some of my envy. Like one of my big sources of envy around friendship is women who I perceive as having like big groups of friends. Like mm. they go to coffee after drop off or they go to Acapulco for their 40th and their 50th. And I don't, I don't, I have wonderful friends, but we don't roll like that. And they're not all together in one place. And I yes. just feel like it would be, I want that warm hug that I'm perceiving. So yes. I'm super jealous of it. And what, that's, that's okay. But if I stop there, I kind of have a problem. What I've discovered is some of that envy has fueled me to create the things I want. If I want what Melissa and Megan and Anna and Priya have, well, is there a way to tap in and join them? Or if I want to go to Acapulco with a bunch of people, it turns out I don't actually want to go. I just want (laughs) pictures of a great life on, you know, a million percent, right. It's just, I've been able to get a little clearer what is my envy showing me something or jealousy or whatever, either yeah. one. Yeah. Is it showing, is it a, is it a spiritual prompting? There's, there's a lack in my life that I want to fill instead of being mad at all them. What do I need to do? What steps do I need to take? I mean, I have to go through all the jealousy and the hating and the not sleeping first, of course. but then there is yes. an empowerment piece that it's like, it's a, it's a prompting from the universe. Oh, you're hungry for something you don't have. So how can you get what you need? Yes. I love that thinking about it. And you're right. Kind of that honesty with yourself. Like when I see those trip pictures too, I think, oh, wow, that's great. And then really in reality, that kind of feels like my nightmare because I feel like I'd be trapped somewhere with people. And if we're sharing a room, forget it. That doesn't sound like fun at all. I don't want any part of that. 
So no, I exactly. Think, yeah, but you do have to take that moment of like, let's just drill this down for a minute. Well, and I will say the one who really loves to talk through my many feelings, of course, is my husband. And I'm being deeply sarcastic because he's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do this. Yes, we should call each other. <laughs> yes, this is perfect. Well, I really like how you talk about that honestly, but in the same breath, you show a tremendous amount of tenderness toward yourself and especially your younger selves. And has that always been the case or was that something that you developed over time? Oh, I love that question. It makes me feel kind of teary about, about all the ways in which I've been so harsh and I couldn't connect with, wow, maybe looking back at myself with only harshness and only berating myself, my younger self for incidents that I contribute to my own social problems, my own social isolation. And just, I may, I got in my own way a lot. I still do. And so, yes, I had to learn the first, it's so interesting. You would think that the first place that I would have learned to be more tender with my younger self would have been in all these gobs and gobs of therapy sessions. But weirdly, where that really, really showed up for me and came home was in writing groups. I would show Mm. writing and these writers I respected would just be like, I'm so turned off by how mean you are to yourself. Like, that's really unnecessary. Like, it would happen over and over again. And I would just think somehow hearing it outside of a therapeutic context, I was able to apply it in some therapeutic way. Like, oh, that doesn't serve the writing and it probably doesn't serve my life. And then I became interested in writers like Melissa Phoebos writes, she has a memoir called Girlhood that was amazing. And I'm just like, oh, there's a way to reckon and grapple and call myself to task and to be accountable without being harsh and just perpetuating this bitterness or this like just mean, just being mean, like self mean, being mean to myself. Like, yeah, it's not necessary. You don't have to, there's lots of ways to get well and grow without that. Yes. What a good reminder, because we do kind of sometimes have this sort of tough love and no more than more with ourselves than anyone else, where it's just, I'm going to just, you know, toughen my, just be so hard on myself. And that contributes to change or growth when, that's rarely the truth. And especially when you're talking about your younger self, it you were young, you were little. But I yeah. think that's so interesting that you were able to get that kind of truth and perspective in a different area. And yeah. it just I think that really leads well into one thing I think you do really well. And I would love to also then turn to talk a little bit about Meredith because I just, I loved so many parts of this book one of the things I think that I really liked is the way you used your conversations with the other people in the book to really kind of create a picture of what it means to do therapeutic work or sort of that self-examination of the inquiry that you're doing. Because I know that therapy, it's becoming more normalized, but there's still a lot of people who don't know what you do in therapy. Yeah. And then this one being a little bit more one-on-one than group was, yep. perhaps. So I thought you did a really good job of showing those sort of excavations. And do you feel like that was something, was that intentional for you? Or was it just, hey, I'm reporting these conversations and this is really kind of how they were? 
I think it's a it's a mixture of both. And okay. when I think about it now, it's 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 easy to revise. But what occurs to me now is thinking a lot of people for lots of different reasons don't have access to therapy or Correct. when you're doing one-on-one therapy, like you could be doing lots of different kind of work in therapy that just wouldn't and I don't, Meredith, you know, none of my friends are my therapists, but there are ways in which my friendships and my relationships outside of professional ones right. teach me the work of repair and practice. That's where I'm doing all my, pra- I mean, that's what all this is for, right? The great yes. laboratory of life. So at the time, I think I felt like, I think there was some part of me operating like, it can't all be, I have to go to the doctor and bear my soul to seven people and get well a la group. That, yes. that obviously transformed my life. I still go, I'm not opposed to it, but I really wanted to give voice to the other processes that also enrich and change and transform my life that happen on the sidewalk or yes. in a grocery store or when I'm on the phone from a hotel room calling Meredith. Like that stuff counts too. Yes. Oh, I love hearing that because it's so true. Kind of the everyday ways that we're seeking to heal our wounds and learn to know ourselves better and all these pieces. And I always joke that my therapist, Kim, is basically sometimes she feels like a friend that I pay with my American Express. (laughs) Because we do have that. I mean, there are tightly articulated boundaries and all the things that you need. But also there is there are so many echoes of friendship because good friendships have good listening. And so yes. you have a lot of that sort of feeling where it's like if you have a good friend that listens to you and really can take themselves out of the equation a little bit, then you're you already are mirroring some of that. Yes. And what the other thing I love about my friends is they all see therapists different. Some of them see mine, but some okay. of them see their own and they carry the wisdom that they that yes. they're accruing in their own therapeutic situations or from their gurus or their rabbis and they hand it to me in conversation and in relationship and I get to then use that and it's a huge gift that happens in almost every conversation when I'm open and listening I'm not always but when I am I can get all kinds of goodies you know <laughs> yes listening man it's really the new frontier for us chatters I tell you <laughs> yes. yes. us meaning me I mean I will I, I'll oh, I'm a you, chatter. But, yeah <laughs> I mean those of us who like to we like to chew the fat and you know maybe learning to listen a little more I really like how I like how you put this book together for so many reasons, and that was one of them. I want to shift a little bit to talking about Meredith. This book opens at her uh, memorial service where you are speaking, and just what? First of all, I'm sorry that you had to lose her. I just Thank you. I kept thinking that as I was reading. I I hate I hate that. It's stupid. Yeah, there's just me too. <laughs> I'm sure. And I think you honored her in so many ways in this book. But tell me a little bit about, I don't know, tell people who haven't read the book yet, tell them about her, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So I met Meredith when I was, I think I was like 27. And she okay. was 47. So she was a lot older than I was. And because I'm pretty immature and also have very rigid, old-fashioned ideas about friendship, I didn't think of her as a friend. Like, right. your friends are within five five years of your age. Like, I didn't, I just didn't see her that way. And right. we saw each other in recovery meetings, and she seemed very peaceful and like a guru. She could do things I couldn't do 
which also made her seem like old and like way more wise than I was. Like right. she could look people in the eye. She could sit for an hour without crying. She had a really <laughs> big job. And I was still like, what am I doing with my life? You know? And right. she was like in my periphery for years. Like anybody who's in a 12 step program, you kind of know there's these characters and you may not talk to them, but you see them every Saturday morning and you hear them share, but they're not like your friend. Right. And when I finally settled down with the man who I would marry and I was just became a calmer person <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, she approached me like almost right away like almost when I finally realized my my husband at the time he was my boyfriend when I realized he was going to stick around and like I just sort of like whew, exhaled mm-hmm. romantically almost that day Meredith approached me and was like oh well, now, now maybe you want to work on your other relationships. And I had no idea what she meant. And she meant friendship. And I still feel like it was one of those moments of like her own clairvoyance. Like, how did she know that that was the next thing that was going to sort of emerge? I mean, maybe it's like a developmental stage and I just haven't seen that chart, you know, but (laughs) she seemed to know. And she was a couple steps ahead of me. And so- Then we started like, she's like, let's work on our friendships. And both of us are middle daughters of three kids. And we just had all these overlaps. And I realized, oh, she's a friend. We're going to do this shoulder to shoulder work of letting go of this. We both had the idea we could never have long-term friendships because we're just, we're just plainly too jealous of our sisters. (laughs) (laughs) And then that was it. We were going to go to the grave. We're going to have nice marriages and like some, some friends, but (laughs) like people were going to trigger us and we were going to have a, like a little graveyard of friendships. And, and then she was like, let's not do that. Let's do something else. And it really, it changed a lot in my life and it happened slowly and very messily. And she's, she's done. She died in 2019 and she still feels really close. Like I haven't, I, she's my first friend I've ever lost. Mm. And I still feel it's, I, I don't, I've never had this experience before where I'm still like, I hear her voice. I, I just still feel her very close to me, which is like a huge comfort. I mean, I wish she was here for us to like do our thing, but right. it it's my first time feeling like, Oh, like, you can keep someone really close. And once you decide someone's close to you, you can keep them close. And that's a huge comfort. Mm, that makes me a little teary. I, you're so, you're so right. The, the parts that we can, the parts that we can keep forever. Yeah. It's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing to know in the midst of that grief and missing mm-hmm. the person. I mean, totally. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. I love that you bonded about being middle sisters. I think middle children in general just really have, I mean, they're just really doing a lot for, I'm sure the therapeutic (laughs) world. And as an oldest sibling, I'm sure that I have assisted in that by just being an asshole. So it's, I mean, it's fine. Like I've done my part. We thank you for your service. (laughs) It's so true. I'm going to get off this and call my sister and be like, Hey, how did I mess up things for you? Let me know. So, but I think you talk a lot about sisterhood in the book. And I really like that because there is a unique relationship, I think, for sisters. Mm -hmm. And so what did you and Meredith both find with that? And especially for you, I mean, how did that, how did you get to that place where you were realizing, oh, this is something I'm kind of acting out with other people? Yeah, I think it was like, it was one of those things that like, I almost knew all of my life, but until she sort of made it explicit, I was like, oh, it's like, she just turned the kaleidoscope or the the, the focus button. Yes. And all of a sudden it came into focus. And both of us just had this, we both of us discovered that we locked into a narrative about who we were in our family vis-a-vis our golden sisters. We locked in really, really young. Okay. And I honor that perspective. There were there were reasons why three and four and five-year-old Christy locked into the narrative that she did. But of also course. I didn't have all the information. I didn't have a fully formed anything. I was I barely had a soft spot covered, right, you know, right. like I was a tiny <laughs> child. And I needed to go back and, and sort of see, like, kind of literally write down a bunch of examples and be like, oh, okay. So I thought X, Y, and Z about my sister and she was golden. And I was, I was the child who was a problem. I, you know, and I, I look back as an adult, I'm like, well, I probably had colic, which sucks for everyone, you know, like, not my fault, not my parents' fault. Like it was a troubling time in my, I was born at a troubling time in my family's life Mm -hmm. and that's nobody's fault. And my sister was born once sobriety had entered our household. That's a, that's a huge miracle that I felt on the outside of. And then I just carried that forward and Meredith had a similar thing. And then we found out one afternoon that our sisters essentially had the same name, like the, fo- the ones we were focused on. And it just felt like, you know, like sometimes like, I mean, it's like a weird coincidence. Yeah. But we lingered there in sort of the magic of that because it felt like sometimes you just have to give in to like the stardust of yes. a relationship. And it really felt like that. And it was like a tingly, fizzy feeling. And I just thought, whatever it is we're doing, it's working. It's yeah. changing me. I wanted to be changed. I didn't want to go around being jealous of everyone who was thinner, younger, blonder. I don't, I don't want to be that person. No. So, so I wanted to change. And th- there were moments of magic with Meredith where I felt that was happening. Mm. I love that. There's, I use it all the time, but there was The Elegance of the Hedgehog is an older book. But there's oh, yeah. a line in there where she talks about the feeling of consonants. She's looking at a painting in it, but basically that this is exactly the way it ought to have been arranged. And so Mm -hmm. what you're describing, those moments where it's like, this is meant to be. This is exactly, she was exactly the person with whom you were supposed to do that work. I mean, that's just so cool. I loved that part. That made me laugh actually too. Just those discoveries later too, where you're like, how have we not 
How do we not I know. realize this until now? <laughs> it's like yeah. so, it was very funny. Like, I love being surprised. I think because there's something that feels like it's easy to get in routines and feel worn out and bored. And it's like, then there's this like a pop out yes. <laughs> in my own, the landscape of my own life. It makes me feel very alive. Yeah. A little bit of delight in our normally yes. mundane days. Yes. Yeah. What you were saying just a moment ago about the stories we believe, that was also a real theme that I've, that I've found in your book, in BFF, where I was reading and just the power of the stories we believe about ourselves mm -hmm. and the stories we tell ourselves about others or about a situation. I just think yep. realizing from the outside I, that's something I'm continually struggling with. And I see it in my teenagers. I have two boys, but it is really fascinating to see when they get locked into something. It's a lot easier to yes. see with them, obviously, than with myself. But is that something that you've gotten better at over the years, identifying those stories? Or do you think that's just something where like, it's just a book of them and we just kind of go page by page, tearing <laughs> them out and then we die? <laughs> uh Maybe. I mean, that actually may be true. What, what I, what feels true is that I'm better at recognizing a, my attachment to a story. Okay. I had, there was something that I was, I can't remember what it was. Like there was like a, a, an incident in my family growing up and I'm like, I'm real locked in. And strangely, what, every story sort of, I'm a victim. Like that's mm. interesting. Like, and I had to back, back up and think like, what if, what if none, what if we just tear this apart, right? Like, what do we break it out side by side? And it c turns out I'm, I wasn't actually a victim. Mm. And yeah, I, what, what has come to the forefront for me, like in the past couple of years is just recognizing I kind of sadly like a narrative where I'm a victim because then it, it snowballs me into like righteous indignation. I have the moral high ground. This stuff is real ugly. This is under the chassis ugliness about my human existence, but I don't have a chance of getting, uh, finding a better narrative, getting truly into a better narrative. That's more connected, more honest, yep. more empowering for yeah, me. Sure. I don't have a chance, but I will tell you. And I think, Oh, I'm doing much. I want to tell you, oh, I'm doing much better, but I'm thinking back to going to group on Monday when I was telling a story and someone yeah. was like, mm, pointed out the ways in which I was sort of acting like a victim. And I was hot under the collar, hot, hot, hot. Like I, I don't like it when people won't join me in my story. No. And very quickly within 24 hours, I was like, I could see they were right. They were trying to help me. So I still have the narratives and the attachment, but I can let go sooner, which mm. feels like, feels like a good, a good piece of progress. That's a huge win. I think to be able to release it faster, right? Because just like even with the jealousy or the envy, these are things that naturally come up for us. So yeah. the faster we can deal with it and move it out of the way, then yes. that that's healthy progress too. Because yeah, I uh, just listening to what you're saying though, I mean, righteous indignation is just so pleasant sometimes to just oh. be totally right and... I can preserve my own image of myself as always doing the right thing and, you know, yeah. just basically being perfect. So that's always yeah. fun. But yeah, it is, it's a tricky one to kind of figure out. I think, especially in our season of life with kids, I don't know if you find mm -hmm. this, but sometimes, you know, they'll do things that are very mirroring of what I do. But of course I can 
clearly tell them they're screwing up. Whereas if I'm doing that, I have a valid reason, everyone. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm allowed to. They are not. Yes. And here is why. I really appreciate that you are, like I said earlier, willing to go there with that openness. And I I think your book is really going to be a gift for that reason, because you're honest about about how your friendships have and have not worked. And I think there are a lot of people who desire exactly what you were talking about, you know, longevity, health in your friendships and these things. Yes. And also, I, I wonder, too, if you ever feel this way, it feels like there is a little bit of a pervasive lie that good friendships should be easy. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, wholehearted. It's not supposed to be work. We're all supposed to know how to do this naturally because we're girls, women. Yes. And that it's and that rocky patches are I don't know. I don't I, I need to hear more stories about them because I don't they're hard. They're really, really hard. They are. And finding the right the yeah, when to when to move in closer, when to pull back. I mean, we don't have as many resources around that. Whereas, you know, in marriage, it's a little bit, I mean, I think there's a little bit more, but also I really liked, I don't want to give anything away, but the, toward the end, you were able to have some therapy sessions with a friend. And I thought that was so revolutionary. When I read it, I was like, why hadn't I thought of that? I mean, (laughs) it just, it makes so much sense because just like in marriage at times you come up against a wall or there are old hurts that need to be healed and you need a third party to assist you with that, a professional, yeah. right? And so I was really glad that you had some of that in there too. When you set out to write the book, did you know which vignettes you were going to include or did that come out as you went? It mostly came out as I went. Okay. And I knew the relationships, like it was very, I mean, there, I could have written about many, many more relationships, but there were certain ones that were like the tent poles of the story. They were emblematic of my problems in friendship. And yes. I knew they, I just couldn't tell the story. And the friend with whom I went to therapy, she, I knew she was going to be in the book. Mm-hmm. I didn't, we didn't have, but I was in the middle of writing when we really reconnected okay. and ended up going to counseling together. So I'm like, so then I then I was in a position of like I had to let her know like I mean I have to write about this. I mean it's so it's yeah. so crass but I definitely feel like this is part of our story and we were able to negotiate that in the therapy sessions. It was all very organic and I really it wouldn't have what I heard her saying was like to leave it out would be like not to put the final chapter in the book mm. about our relationship. So so some of that was evolving, but I always knew that those, the Anna, Callie, those relationships, Leah, though it was very clear that any book about friendship, I'd have to grapple with them on the page. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so glad you did. I'm sure that was really challenging at times to, you know, and I'm sure, like you said, you started this and then group is out in the world. But I think anytime you're writing about those sorts of tender places, tender conversations, it's a lot to figure out what to include and what honors all the people involved, but then also yeah. honors the story best. It's it's a lot. 
Yeah. And I have had, I've had extraordinary experiences. Once the book was done, I, I went on what I called my goodwill apology tour. <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, I had to like make dates and go walk with people and explicitly say like, I've written about our relationship and you know, here's the outline, here's yes. an early copy. There's enough time to change things, but you need to let me know. Like, yeah. And I, I have been really humbled and amazed by the way that the people who are who I write about have received my work, mm. have received, they have expressed to me they feel like it is a gift. It, it it has landed for them like a gift, which is certainly my intention. Right. And I feel I think that's only possible because these women really are extraordinary and they do their own work. And I've never had anybody write about me. I I don't know what that would feel like, but they have certainly modeled if it ever happens. Yeah. <laughs> What my friends that I've written about have modeled for me is grace and generosity and Mm. support and just unbelievable enthusiasm for the words I wrote. And that is, it's so humbling. I can't even, I I, I like fall short of words. What a gift. I think instead of taking that approach, you should just go full, like difficult, combative, right? If anybody chooses (laughs) to write about you. Yes. Just I'm gonna flip sue. the script. Exactly. <laughs> Make it just, and then see what happens. I don't know. It could be exciting. I'm so glad that that's been your experience. It is sort of strange to write about real people. I had a couple of those where I wrote and somebody said later, well, that wasn't how I meant it. And I said, oh, I know that, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. you know, this is, but this is the story that I interpreted it this way. And so those sorts of things are kind of tricky. You have been a full-time writer now. And I want to know how that is. I feel like if I ever leave my job at the library, then I'll end up getting nothing done all day. Mm. Has that been your experience? Tell me it's not. And you've done really well and you've been super proud. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's a good question. And my honest answer is I probably get about the same amount of writing done. Okay. There was something about working full time. The whole time I was writing group, even out until it got out into the world, I had a full time job. Yeah. And that compression meant I had to be ferocious about my free time. Like I had to get up early. I had to write during lunch. Any weekend, I just was like a gorilla. I would just attack Mm. free time. And it was very, there was something vivifying about that. Like I had like a, a, having my full-time job that wasn't like my soul's calling gave me something to press against, right? It was the adversary and my story of my love life with my writing. And then it was like, once my writing became my primary job, then it was like, there were the elements of the job of of any job. It was like some of the luster of it. Like it wasn't, I didn't have sweet stolen moments. I had all day till my kids came home. And there was something about that amount of time that was intimidating lonely and pressure. I felt so much pressure. Like I should be writing blah, 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 of words. Like I was like 5,000 words a day, like get cracking (laughs) Missy. And then I would just shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So it took me, it took me about a year. And I Mm. also felt like, Oh, okay. So now, now my, my husband has a more traditional job. And so I had to learn that like, my writing is a job. And so I don't yes. have to say yet. I don't have to make cookies for the party. I don't no. have to be the parent who drops everything and runs to the store or the, the pick the kid up. 
one of us has to, but I was always defaulting. And before mm-hmm. my husband could even get off the phone for his, he, I would be like, I got to go get Simon. And this is you know, like, yep. And I just had to calm down. And I had to, I was the last person to decide that my writing time was valuable, deserved protection as much as when I worked as a lawyer. Even mm. when I say that, it, I innerly, I inner cringe, you know, like that can't right. be true. <laughs> but but the more that I make that true, the better my relationships are and my writing and my sense of pressure. Because yes. if I have to give away all my time to call the roofer and do the dentist runs and clean the toilet, if I have to do all that, there isn't any more. No. What have I done? And so yeah. I, it's like I had freed myself by letting go of my job, but I created like five new prison cells that I had to, every day I have to remind myself, like, get out of there, get out of there, come out into the hallway. Oh, that is so, I, I really, thank you for sharing that because I think that makes a lot of sense. You made a huge transition. Obviously it was going to take time, but I think also you had the added layer of sort of the nebulous job of being a writer. You know what I mean? It's so hard to quantify. And like, I would do the same thing where I'd be like, well, I'm going to write a million words a day and then I'll have, I'm going to be the next Ellen Hildebrand. And I'm just churning them out (laughs) year by year, right? Like she does it. Why can't I do it? Right. And which I can't, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not going to try that. But I think it, it is, that is, that makes so much sense. And then just the mental load of being a mom. But then the things that we take on without realizing that we're shooting ourselves, you know, that like you said, before he can even hang up the phone, you're already doing it. And that can get tricky. Yeah. Yeah. The places where I got into the most trouble were like days off of school and holidays. That's where I was just like, well, I can't work all day. He's going to like, it just, it has required for it to work. It requires a lot of communication. Yes. Stating clearly what I want, which is that may be the final frontier. Uh, <laughs> that one right there. 100%. Determining what I need and want and expressing it. Yeah. Speaking I up. think, <laughs> yeah. And hello. That's so, that makes so much sense. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's so true. And I also think you get accustomed to living in a pressure cooker. Like yeah. I know when I've done too much and you get to that point and then, then it's like, oh, actually you can write and have a little free time in your life. That could be cool yeah. to just have one job instead of six. And so, but it takes a little retraining. So, yes. well, I have one final question for you that I stole from Esther Perel because she has oh. great questions. Well, and she has a new game, which I'm going to order, which is like a conversation game. It's called, <gasps> Where Shall We Begin? And wow. it's all, I mean, it will probably ruin my family's life because they love it when I go on these sorts of things where I'm like, we're going to talk more. And they're like, I don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. So, but it looks really cool. So maybe I'll get you one too. And we can, you and I can do it. <laughs> you and me. Yeah. Let's make totally. it weird. Yeah. It'll be great. So the question is, who's someone to, or who do you owe a thank you to? Oh, that just made my heart like tremor. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, like in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, like I have a million questions to like okay. um, to like lawyer this up, but let's just it. take it at face value. Who okay. do I owe a thank you to? I feel like I want to say thank you to everyone who has touched my life to the point where I've written about them. Mm. It's such an act of I don't know. I can't even describe it. Like no one is, no one has come after me or 
said, don't say that or corrected the record. And I know full well, we don't share the same view of many things. Right. And I think I just want to say thank you to people. And, and especially people now who like start relationships with me, like after I'm Christy, a writer. Yes. Like, they've got to be terrible, like becoming friends with a <laughs> memoirist. Like that is danger, danger, danger. Yes. And people still seem to embrace me and trust me. And I hope they know that I we would have lots of conversations before anything hit the page. But yes. I guess I feel like those people who have, appeared in my work and continued to support me and love me and stay in relationship with me and just let the writing part become part of our relationship. Mm. That feels like a huge, like a huge measure of grace that has been given to me by lots of people. Cause I've, I've done a lot of writing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's a uh, great question. I liked that one. Okay, good. I'm glad that I liked that one. Cause I was, she says, has been talking about the book on Instagram, but that's why I need to get the whole book or the whole box of cards. So now I know what I need to do later today. Get online and order something. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with me today. Where can people go to see, to read more of your writing? And obviously I want them to get BFF when it's out and this will be sure. coming out just after that. So where can they go to find more about you? Sure. I have a website. It's christytate.com. And there's usually links to my writing and whatever I'm up to. And also the social media I do is really Instagram. I'm too scared of the other ones. So yeah, I, I'm <laughs> um, with you. So I like, and I like to talk about books and I like it when people like want to engage around all kinds of reading things. I don't, I don't personally like to put anything negative out about books. I just can't, I cannot. So I only talk about the stuff I love and I'm happy to hear about what other readers love or, or, or where, where they're engaging with reading. I love it. I just personally, I, I'm not putting up two star reviews. That's not happening. So, <laughs> no. but I love to engage with readers or anybody who's like scrolling through. So I'm at Christy O. Tate on Instagram. Perfect. Well, I'm sure that they will come and find you there. But thank you for this time today. It was a joy. This was a lot of fun. So thank you. Thank you. You made this like a total blast. Time flew. And I'm just, I'm grateful for all that you do for readers and writers. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you, friend. Speak soon. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at juliewritewords or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 